Welcome to Mission Impact, the podcast for progressive nonprofit leaders who want to build a better world without becoming a martyr to the cause. I'm Carol Hamilton, your host and nonprofit consultant. On this podcast, we explore how to make your organization more effective and innovative. We dig into how to build organizational cultures where your work in the world is aligned with how you work together as staff, board members, and volunteers, all for the purpose of creating greater mission impact. Keisha Sidney is the Chief People Officer for the Y in Central Maryland and the founder of Golden Key Coaching. She works to ensure the people's strategies and resources support and match the strategic priorities of the organization. Keisha is an executive leader who has been with the Y for 30 years, both at the national and regional levels. With in-depth experience in coaching, talent management, strategic visioning and planning and facilitation, Keisha has served in operational roles at the YMCA of Metropolitan Washington, led the National Multicultural Leadership Development Movement, as well as served as an internal consultant for C-suite leaders from WISE across the United States. She holds a master's degree in organization development from American University and a bachelor's degree in psychology from Howard University. Keisha and I talk about why leaders need to be aware of how closely staff are watching and observing what they do, not just what they say. Why organizations need to start with individuals when working on equity within the organization, addressing implicit bias and the unconscious beliefs that are often driving behavior, and in building programs that build the leadership capacity of people who haven't traditionally been promoted to leadership roles. Why organizations need to be careful that they are not about assimilation, just teaching people of color and women how to better fit into the picture of leader defined by white men. How professionals focusing on diversity, equity, and inclusion experience and profound fatigue in continually educating people about racism and other forms of oppression. We also delve into why it is important for leaders to be willing to share when they make mistakes and what they've learned from them. So what's on your failure resume? So welcome, Keisha. Great to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Really honored to be here. So I just want to start out by asking, uh, just to give people some context, um, what drew you to the work that you do? What would you say motivates you and, and, and how would you describe your why? Well, my WHY, you know, and I have to specify my why from my why because I have worked for the Y organization for I just celebrated my 30th year, 30th anniversary. And, you know, being only 35, it's hard to fathom that I've been any place 30 years, um, a bit of no seriousness. Um, I really enjoy helping people to just reach their potential. I think that I started off working with young people and directing childcare centers and, you know, doing teen programs and things. And after decades in operations, I really found that my passion is for the people, the associates, the leaders that are doing the work and helping to make sure that they feel equipped, that they feel um, energized, that they have all the tools and resources, that they have the confidence to do the work that they're supposed to do. Um, Nonprofit work can be grueling, and sometimes we may give and give and give and forget that we have to also get, we've got to pour into ourselves. So that's a part of my why is really making sure that people are able to pour into themselves. What are some ways that you help people do that? Well, I think that a lot of it is in coaching and reflecting and, you know, going through and finding ways to reflect on situations, you know, how did I respond to this? How am I going to do this differently in the future? 
Um, I think that that emotional intelligence and self-awareness is really key. We can get so caught up in the doing of the work. And I was just, I find myself telling leaders all the time through our organization, the work is not just the work. It's, it's not just the tactics and the processes. It's how we get things done. It's who we work with in order to move things forward. Um, and I think that a part of that is how we are aware of our own selves and how we impact that. So it's important, the critical part of leadership in my opinion. Yeah, I don't know if leaders are always aware how much the folks around them, their staff are paying very close attention to everything mm -hmm. that they're doing. Um, and, and oftentimes leaders are relying on what they're saying or what they're communicating in an email. Um, but what they're doing, uh, you know, that, that, that is always just more powerful um, for people to watch behavior and, and uh, you know, starting to kind of unpack and, and doing that reflection so that you can mm -hmm. think about, okay, well, these are the things that happened. You know, someone's telling me that, that um, what they saw in that, you know, they made some interpretation and, and it wasn't right. maybe what I intended, but that was the impact it had. So yeah, it's, it's really key to always remember that, you know, as a leader, you're kind of in the spotlight. You're in the spotlight and you're accountable, regardless of what your intent may be. The impact is still the impact. And, you know, when you, you're mentioning just as leaders and people looking up to you or watching, how do we take off? How do we use leave? How do we sharpen the saw? How do we develop ourselves? We tend to say, oh, we're going to send them to training or we're going to, you know, make sure you use your leave. But then, oh, well, no, I'm so important. I've got to work. I've got to be here or, you know, call me. I know I'm on vacation, but I'll still be a participant in that meeting. And it's risky to to be the person that says, you know what, I'm scheduled for leave during that time. Can we reschedule that? You know, I really want to be a part of the conversation, but I've scheduled this time and it's really important to my family. And not to say that as leaders, sometimes you don't need to, you need to just be there if it's something that's come up that's an emergency, but every emergency isn't an emergency. So I think that leading by example and taking care of ourselves and our families is, is really critical. And it's something that I constantly work on. I constantly work on. I can't say I've got it down pat, but it's something that I, I strive to improve every year. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, those are hard boundaries to keep, even when we know that's our, our, you know, our belief. Uh, I mm -hmm. mean, I even, you know, I know that's certainly what I believe and I try to, to uh, do for myself and, and then to demonstrate to others. And I mean, I have the luxury in, in being a, a independent consultant of, I've now started, you know, I used to give the explanation of why I'm on leave. Can we schedule it another time? I, I simply now say I'm not available. It's mm -hmm. a little easier for me to do that, but um, without someone, you know, having access to my calendar, et cetera. But, um, it, but it's still hard to, to maintain those boundaries, you know, and, and kind of keep some time for, um, even if you're working, just keep some time for thinking and uh, right. some, for analysis, for kind of stepping back and not being in, you know, meeting after meeting after meeting that, that leaders are so often in. Um, and especially now in, in COVID, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, the, the day can never end sometimes. You're just... The day can never end sometimes. And, but I think being really aware of what really is an emergency, where, when mm -hmm. is it really critical and when right. is it not? Right. So that you have those reserves when those emergencies come up. Yeah. And I try, one thing that I try to remember is, you know, as women and leaders and moms, and sometimes there's a thought you're supposed to be super woman or super mom. And I don't 
try to ascribe to that. And I try to remember that, you know, I'm juggling a lot of balls, but every ball is not a glass one. So, you know, there might be some things that I can let drop and they're going to bounce back and I'll just pick them up wherever they are, or maybe I can pass it to someone on my team or something like that. But things like my children or my husband or my health, you know, those are glass balls that I can't get back. Um, you know, if I drop them, they're shattered, that kind of thing. It's been, it's been helpful for me to prioritize what are those things that, you know, okay, that'll, that'll be fine until next week. Um, but this, this is priority and takes precedence. So I need to I love that image. myself. Yeah, I love that image because we so often hear about the, you know, I'm juggling a lot of things, but remembering mm -hmm. that all of those balls that you're juggling don't have the same impact exactly. and, and, and are not all, you know, are not all precious in the same way. And yeah, how can you, you know, do, do you have to be the one juggling all of those things? How right. can you pull other people in, um, you know, help them grow by giving them a, an, a you know, stretch assignment that, that you maybe were, were, were in charge of and, and maybe you can really help their, their development. Exactly. And people want to help. They want to come through for you. Um, so I, I think it is important for us to share, share those opportunities with others and prioritize for ourselves. So you've done, um, part of your work has been uh, working on uh, building a more multicultural, uh, increasing equity within the Y. Um, what would you say has been missing in past efforts to address equity in the nonprofit sector? I mean, there are a lot of organizations that are trying to address that in the outside of their organizations, mm -hmm. but I'm talking about inside organizations. Well, and we have to start with ourselves internally and it, it can't be just a process or a policy or you know, procedures, we have to start as individuals. We come to work with our own beliefs, um, the way that we are raised and how we see things. We are all born with biases and um, there, it impacts how we show up. It impacts how we treat others at work, uh, what we value, who we value, um, you know, knowing where people's, um, their ideals come from and why they make the decisions they make or the way they behave is it, just, it's helpful in us being more I don't know, empathetic to one another. So I feel like the conversations that are being had nowadays, COVID with the pandemic of um, coronavirus and COVID-19 and the epidemic of racism, you know, people aren't able to ignore it. And I think having these uncomfortable conversations, leaning into the discomfort um, and committing to doing it again and again is what's gonna make the difference. Um, I've, led multicultural uh, leadership development efforts at a national level for our organization. And there's sometimes where I felt like we were just teaching the diverse leader how to be within this larger structure that is not necessarily welcoming. So teach you as a person of color to straighten your hair, to get in, get the interview, say the right things and do all those things. But how do we change the system so that it doesn't expect me to conform in order to be successful, um, that I can be valued for, you know, however I look, if I choose to wear my hair this way, and I know that's a, sometimes seems like a small thing, um, but those small things, they just add up, and there just seems to be many ways where, as a woman of color, I felt like I haven't always been able to bring my whole self to work, um, so I do think that it's important that we allow folks to bring themselves and their culture and their beliefs um, to work and not have to hide who they are. So those conversations is, is a key part of it. 
Yeah, and in that that leadership development that you're talking about, it's essentially what like refo- refining code switching or refining, you know, basically teaching whiteness. And yep. I feel like that's probably replicated across not only uh, programs within organizations, but many, many programs that are offered as, you know, uh, not capacity building, but, you know, at just different levels that that's essentially what the program is about. And, and how is that really helping us get to uh, equity? Right. You know, we need to teach white people to be okay with people who are different and you know I know that there's a lot of there are a lot of books and things talking about being anti-racist and things um but we have to continue to just work on dismantling the systems it's not just teaching one group how to be or how to respond it's educating ourselves on how things got to be the way they are and we they didn't just start with us here um that here's the impact of those things here's how this group might have benefited from these laws and these systems and then here's how this group may not have benefited or how they might have been um, kept back as a result of those so and then getting people to make change you know how do we bring it to the forefront and then start to dismantle it but it's a long haul it's not it's a long haul (laughs) it didn't it didn't yeah it was built it was built over time and it won't be dismantled overnight either yeah and it's interesting i was i was listening to uh uh, brene brown's one of her podcasts she now has Mm -hmm. two um and i'm i'll i'll look up i'm not remembering who the name of the person that she was talking to but um the the person she was interviewing was talking about how when organizations um try to start working on diversity, equity, and inclusion, they'll often go to the policies, the practices. Mm-hmm. And, and she described that as the, the transactional part of the work. Right. And what was interesting to me, because so often people will say, you know, it's in, they kind of, it ends up being posed as a somewhat of an either or of mm-hmm. either you're doing tra- transactional or you're doing transformational. And what she was saying, which I found so interesting was you have to have both. So you right. have to deal with all of those practices and, and systems and, and, you know, how that's all embedded kind of in the code of how we work. Mm-hmm. And that's not enough. It's not sufficient. You also have to work at the relational level. And then other work that's just, you know, we're trying to come at this from a conscious kind of, you know, at the part of the brain that actually is not triggering a lot of this. Right. That that so much is this is about the unconscious bias that we've been taught over years um, and how that's kind of embedded in our uh, limbic system almost. It is. We have to do something to consciously stop it and be aware that, okay, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm hearing. This is what I'm saying. This is what I'm replicating. Um, I found that one-on-one conversations has also been very helpful with you know, I can't speak for every person who I'm, you know, who's like me, but I can tell you how this impacts me. I can tell you how this impacts my children. I can tell you how this impacts my family. And it's exhausting to share. And, you know, there've been times when I'm like, I'm not, I'm tired of educating everyone else. I'm just, you know, going to do me. I've got to preserve myself. Diversity fatigue is a real thing. Um, But I found in relationships that are important to me, and I found I've really tried to develop those, whether it's professionally, personally, but by sharing, this is the impact of this. You know, when I hear of another police killing of a Black person, you know, that I think of, that could be my son who is 17 now, who's six foot four. And it could be my daughter, you know, who's 17 and just a Black young woman. It could be me. It could be my husband. And sharing you know, conversations with folks. One of my colleagues said, you know, 
that really hit me when you talked about your kids and my kids, because it's always, you know, that's that family over there. But it's like, no, you know me and you know that we have these things in common, but yet our kids can be doing the same exact thing and mine will be killed and yours will not. Um, so I don't know. I think that that's one way that I've tried to personally um, just make connections with folks and help them to see things in a different light. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I appreciate also you're saying, you know, there are just sometimes when I'm not, it's, I'm not going to engage. I need mm -hmm. to, I need to preserve myself. Right. Yeah. Can't always, I can't always engage in conversations and it's, it's not always fruitful. There are some folks who it doesn't matter what you say. Um, and, and I'm not willing to sacrifice myself for for those types of conversations yeah and sometimes i find it can be helpful to to identify some bright spots or you know people who are operating under those same um circumstances or constraints you know within the same context but somehow are having better results um in your work have you encountered some of those bright spots because i think we can like that's a place to start working from mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've encountered quite a few bright spots. I know we have a movement of leaders of color throughout the, the national Y, and we call it, it's our multicultural leadership development group. And we have, you know, whether well, it's mentors and coaches and supports, and we've created safe spaces, um, similar to the employee resource group models where you have, you know, groups of people may be able to come together, work on policies, uh, you've got the affinity, groups, those types of things. But ours is more of a mixture of not just African-Americans with African-Americans. So you might see African-Americans, Hispanic Latinos, Asian Pacific Islanders, you might have indigenous folks, um, of which we need to improve our numbers nationally as an organization with regards to leadership reflecting um, the communities we serve. But for those of us who are members of those communities, finding the commonalities and being able to support one another and educate one, one another and um, developing our own cultural competence, just because you're a person of color doesn't mean that you're going to be culturally competent as well. Um, and the things that we're asking from other groups that we should be able to um, be able to model those things as well. So it's definitely been a great support system. And we've seen a lot of folks who've been able to engage and advance their careers within our organization um, and connecting the dots where they're not just at one small organization that they can be connected to our larger network of the organization. Um, so really a lot of success there. We have seen some increases in our numbers nationally of leaders that are at the top level in the C-suite CEO position that are of color. Um, but then we've also had some challenges that, that go on the other side of it. So um, we've done a lot more work on bias and undoing institutional racism, anti-racism work, um, a lot more equity work and working, looking at the systems. And I don't think that that's something that as national nonprofits, a lot of us do, um, recognizing that we are a part of those systems that we talk about. We're part of this country. We have the same kind of history um, as we've evolved in these 175 years that, uh, that our country has evolved. So, um, you know, I think we're, we're doing a lot. There are a lot of folks who are committed to it. Um, again, there's much more to be done. Sure, sure. And what's interesting, what, you know, for the why, particularly, um, you're, you're a, a federated system. And yeah. that can, I think, I'm guessing, make it particularly challenging. But there are many other national organizations that are set up that same way. 
Can you just briefly say what a federated system is and then maybe talk about how that's impacted, uh, how some of this work has either been able to move forward or, or been challenging? Sure, we're federated, meaning each organization, each Y is its own independent 501c3. Um, we are a part of, a, we're all members of the national YMCA. Um, and there are some guidelines that we need to adhere to in order to be a member um, but we each have our own boards of directors, our own financial, our own leaders, those kinds of things. And, you know, we can make our own decisions. Um, there are a lot of benefits to that because the work that's happening in each community is different. So we don't have to be bound by some national um, perspective or priorities that are not, that are not appropriate for our communities. Um, the benefits of being a larger uh, federated organization, our brand is something that's recognizable that we work hard to um, have some things that we say are in common and that when you go to a Y, no matter where you are, that there could, should be these types of things. Um, and for us, that's healthy living, youth development and social responsibility are three of our big core areas that we do our work. Um, so there was a second part to that question, I'm sorry. Well, I'm just also wondering, you know, with with that uh, federated system, there's also the, you know, the autonomy of each organization. So um, trying to move forward uh, something at the national level may take longer because you essentially ha are having to uh, persuade or enroll, you know, pull in every organization within the within the system. Definitely. Um, and we're a very diverse country. Um, we have, in some ways, a lot of division and some things that we you know, all believe in, and then there are some areas where we're not all on the same side, and our organization is not any different from that. Um, so for us to all rally around the same thing, it is not always very easy. It can be painstaking, but I know that there are some things we do believe in equity and inclusion um, as a national organization. Uh, we believe in the safety of children and young people, and, you know, there's just certain things that are no-brainers for us, uh, but how that gets implemented in each area is is sometimes very different and can be difficult and you know i'm not speaking on behalf of our organization nationally but, right um, it is an area that i've seen that when we pull together that there is very impactful and you've actually developed your your own leadership model um can you tell us a little bit more about that and what you found wanting in other models that spurred you to create your own yeah, sure. Thank you for asking about it. It's interesting because I've coached leaders, you know, for many, many years and also had a lot of focus on learning and development. And I feel like we tend to highlight leaders who it seems as if they've arrived, as if they just showed up and they were perfect. You know, they're these flawless leaders. And, you know, I have done presentations and I've done a little riff on Beyonce's flawless music and we don't really highlight leaders who mess things up or they're learning. You know, when I see someone who's in this position that's a high level, I think, man, how do I get there? I don't hear about the times that they failed four times, that they were rejected for six other positions that they've gone for. You just get to see where they've shown up. So um, I really tried to share with leaders more of and encourage my colleagues to share some of their failures some of their flaws, so to speak. Um, and to say that the model is that leaders are flawed, F-L-A-W, and they are not perfect, but we do learn from things. So the F is for failing forward. 
everyone makes mistakes and you know how do we utilize those to propel ourselves and our learning forward our organization um, whatever it is that we learn from those failures um, and then maybe we prevent some of the failures in the future or maybe they'll be a little smaller um, but recognizing that all of us will fail at some point but how do we fail forward um, the l is for lifelong learners that we constantly have to sharpen that saw we have to learn more um, a part of it is reflecting and getting better um, learning about what we do and how we can improve um, learning about our field our craft um, just continuing to you know there's no point where you've just arrived and you know it all so we need to always be lifelong learners the a is for authentic i think authenticity for leadership is is just very important for us um, if you want people to follow you you want them to trust you um, no one, people don't want to follow someone who doesn't seem genuine. Um, and a part of that authenticity is that, yeah, I'm not always right. I may not be perfect. Um, sharing more of our WHY, our story, why we do things or what's motivating our decisions and things like that. Sharing a little bit of uh, vulnerability. So if we were to talk about Brene Brown, that vulnerability is just super important. So I think that that's all tied to authenticity. And then the W is for work. You can't be a leader without doing the work. So um, you got to roll your sleeves up and get your hands dirty. I do believe do believe in working smarter, not harder. I'm not going to try and take the hard way, but um, you know, leadership you, you definitely have to just put in the work wherever it's needed. So that's my model. Leaders are flawed. So. I love it. Um, I. I, I Hey, it was one a thing that I don't think much goes viral on LinkedIn, but this one probably did where someone actually wrote their failure resume. Mm. Um, you know, and and yeah, so you you know, when you write your bio uh, for for um, you know, when you're speaking or whatnot, you rarely mm -hmm. include, yeah, and right before I got that job, I, you know, was the runner up for four other right. jobs, you know, right? Or I was laid has, off here. Or you right, or yeah, I got I got uh, uh, restructured out of that job and that yeah. job. So yes, we're resilient. Um, you know, those are the things that we need to reiterate. That especially with this generation coming up, and I hate to sound like the old person, you know, in the room, but you want folks to know it's okay. You got to be resilient. You know, we don't know what's going to happen next in COVID and what this next iteration will be, but. We will bend, we will be resilient, we'll make it through and, you know, figure it out. Yeah, and I think folks have a lot more resilience than they realize. And it's part of it is kind of looking back and seeing, oh, okay, well, you know, I did, I did, yeah, that, that kind of sucked at that time, yep. but I, I picked myself back up and, you know, got back on the horse or whatever and, and yep. tried again. And, and, um, and I, you know, I think just the way we're, our brains are wired, we learn so much more from those failures than we, we do, do from all the successes. We're so, um, you know, we have such a, that negativity bias that, that those are definitely more memorable. Um, but to then not only keep it as our own private learning, but I think what mm -hmm. you're saying is to, um, to, for leaders to actually share those with, with the folks that they're working with so that they, you know, folks really know um, it, it is okay. You know, we don't want to make a lot of mistakes. Nobody wants to right. make mistakes. But on the other hand, if there's a culture where, you know, making mistakes is, you know, punished, then right. it just it, it it has so much impact on um 
folks willing to take risk that is has to be there for innovation right. uh, can really have a chilling effect. So yeah, pretending that you're perfect, um, uh, it, it's well, one, it's exhausting for the person, then it's of and course. it's you know who wants to realistic. work with that anyway? It's not realistic, yeah. So yeah. I well, appreciate that. Rapid prototyping. Let's you know, let's relanguage it. It doesn't have to be perfect. We're not expecting it to be our final product but we're gonna put this bad boy out see how it works and we'll fix it you know we'll continue to hone in on it so yep. i do yep. think that just allowing people to be okay with like you said innovating and we don't want to make huge mistakes but we know that's a part of the process and right you know, we can build our confidence in knowing that it's a part of the process that i may stumble yeah and i think um you know also for organizations to kind of look at who's allowed to make those mistakes within the organization and who really ha it has higher consequences for them mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm sure in most cases there's probably already research that shows this but that you know the more male and white you are the probably the more you can get away with uh, yep very much so and you know i didn't necessarily see myself being in hr um coming from operations in so many places but i'm really drawn to making sure that we're consistent with how we take, how do we handle those situations? And, you know, like you said, is it, are we doing the same thing if the person is white and male as we would have done if they were, you know, young and female and a person of color or something like that. So um, super important that we have those consistencies. Yeah, yeah. We'll be back after this quick break. Mission Impact is sponsored by Grace Social Sector Consulting. Grace Social Sector Consulting helps nonprofits and associations become more strategic and innovative for greater mission impact. Download free resources on strategic planning, program portfolio review, design thinking, and more at gracesocialsector.com resources. We're back on Mission Impact. Well, I, I want to shift, shift our focus a little bit here. At the end of every episode, I do a little game where I ask a random icebreaker question. Okay. Um, so what is one family tradition that you'd like to carry on in the future? I created a family tradition of cookie baking for the holidays. And I'm not a person who cooks nor bakes. So it was interesting <laughs> for me to come up with that. But I just love the idea of the, my children coming together and having other cousins over and us, you know, getting flour all over the place and making cookies from scratch. and it's just like a way to set the holidays, the season off. And um, it's a big mess. And every year I say, why am I doing this? Um, <laughs> but I'm really trying to figure out how to do it during COVID. I'm like, okay, do we just pass out flour and cookie baking ideas or do something via Zoom? But it's definitely one of the traditions that um, I hope that my children pass on and that they continue to do it. All right, well, thank you so much. Yeah, have a, have a COVID, a Zoom, a cookie baking party. Yeah. Um, and I hope I get a box of cookies. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'll make sure you do. You may not want them. Some they've gotten better over the years. <laughs> like I said, I'm not a baker. <laughs> fail, fail forward, right? <laughs> yes, yes, they've gotten much better, but I've been failing forward for some years. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate you, Carol. Good to talk to you. The person who I could not remember as we were talking is Aiko Bethia. I hope I'm pronouncing her name right. You can find Brene Brown's interview of her on her podcast, Dare to Lead. She has her own consulting firm, Rare Coaching and Consulting, and I will post a link to the episode in the show notes. I especially appreciate Keisha's metaphor of the glass balls. We often talk about how we're juggling lots of things, 
But what are those things that if you drop the ball, they will shatter? Humpty Dumpty falls off the wall and can't be put back together again. Those important relationships in our life, are we really prioritizing them or allowing work to take all our time and energy? And certainly you can heal and repair relationships when things have been out of whack. But your time is your one unrenewable resource. How are you spending yours? Thank you for listening to this episode. You can find the links and resources mentioned during the show in the show notes at missionimpactpodcast.com slash show notes. That's missionimpactpodcast, all one word, dot com slash show notes. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a colleague or a friend. We really appreciate you helping us get the word out.